Well, as I've said a number of times, it is good to be back together again. And uh, as, as we said earlier, it is Mother's Day. And again, we celebrate all of our moms and those who have filled in in those, uh, in those motherly roles, those mother figures that we've had. But today our focus is not going to be on the moms in our lives, but instead it's going to be on the church. And today we're going to look at the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to pick up in verse 42 right at the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And today we're going to look at the marks of a healthy church. The marks of a healthy church. And I tell you, we in this state and in this part of the state in particular are very fortunate because there are a lot of people, a lot of churches and Christians even, even today that are still being discouraged from meeting together in person. Even next county over in Green County, they are um, at the very most you can uh, meet together in a car. Not everybody in a car, like a clown car, but, but you have a drive-in service. And so um, they, they're encouraging people to do that, to do stuff online. And so we are fortunate in the fact that we can get together and we're able to do this. But, uh, but I tell you, this time has, has created and is creating ongoing very, uh, very serious difficulties for local churches. In fact, I would not be surprised if there are a great many churches throughout this country and, and probably across the world that won't open back up after the shutdown. And that's, that's a very sad thing, but it's, it, it's just a, a, a part of life that we have to face. But, but right now, within ministry circles, there's a lot of talk about what they're terming rebooting the church. And that means, you know, we're, we're trying to get back into things, start things back up. And so part of the conversation is revolving around logistical things. Things like we've already talked about in, in this service with the hand sanitizer and the social distancing. Some churches have, um, have added services so that you can have fewer people in each one. Uh, other churches, as well as our own, are increasing the frequency with which we infect commonly touched services. Things like that. So that's one conversation that's being had. But there's another conversation going on at the same time that's talking about, let's look at the church. Let's look at what we're doing as a body of believers. Are there programs that need to be scrapped? Are there programs that need to be tweaked because they're no longer fulfilling the, the purpose for which they were started? Uh, we, we, we see people in churches that are, are really taking a step back and saying, we need to, we need to start not necessarily, not necessarily from scratch, but we need to refocus. And that's what I want us to do as, as a church. If you've been following along on the uh, messages that I've been posting online, last week I talked about us staying focused on our mission. And our mission is not only to glorify God, but it's to share the gospel with unbelievers. Now today we're not going to talk about refocusing our mission, but instead we're going to focus on some, uh, some marks of a healthy church. Some marks of a healthy church. And so, uh, again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. And what we're going to look at is an account of what some of the earliest believers did. Now, I'm not setting them up as a model that we should copy everything because the early church was not perfect. The, the early believers were not perfect. They had problems. They had disagreements. They had things like that. And we should not emulate those things. But at the same time, they did do some things right. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to see some things that we can copy out of their lives. So if you found Acts 2, I'd like you to stand with me to honor God's Word. And we'll pick up in verse 42 and read to the end of the chapter. Luke writes, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them 
sharing with them all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Thank you. You may be seated. Now today I want to draw your attention to three marks of a healthy church that we see in our text. The first is there in, in uh, well, it's, it's in the last part of the section. Usually when we talk about the, the, the early church, we looked at the things that they did. A lot of times we focus on verse 42, and it gives a good summary of the things that they did as an early church. We're going to cover that, but our focus today is going to start at verses 44 and 45. And, and the, the, the mark that we see here is generosity. The first mark of a healthy church is generosity. A healthy church is a generous church. Now, you'll notice, look at verse 44 again. It says that nearly, it says that the early Christians had all things in common and that the people were selling and giving to those who were in need. And so some people look at that, they say, oh, socialism. Oh, communism. We should institute that in our country because obviously this is what the church did as, as early believers. That's what we should be doing. Now, is that what is going on here? Well, the answer to that plainly is no. Because if, if you look through the text, and I, I want you to, to understand the, the context of what's happening. These early Christians were the 3,000 that were saved at the preaching of Peter. Now, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when was the Holy Spirit given? Remember? At Pentecost. Yeah, so at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given to, 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 to the early church. The church was born. Peter went out and he boldly began to preach. The people heard him. They said they, they were convicted at heart. They said, what shall we do? He said, be, be, repent, be saved. And the people were, uh, were, were saved. They were baptized. They became the early church. And so these people, the early church started at Pentecost. You say, well, Pastor, I know that. What does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, remember... These people who were at Pentecost, many of them didn't live in Jerusalem. That's where this happened. They were pilgrims that came from other lands. They were pilgrims that came uh, from, from outlying areas because Pentecost was one of the feasts that the Jewish males had to go to each year. And so, so all these people were in Jerusalem. They get saved, and they're going to stick around because they want to find out about this faith that they've accepted. They want to be instructed by the apostles. And so they stay, they stay longer than they're supposed to, not, not longer than they're supposed to, longer than they had planned, and their provisions begin to run out. Now, has anybody ever had your bag lost by an, air, uh, um, an airplane? Not an airplane, but uh, you know what I'm talking about. Your bag gets lost when you're traveling. It doesn't take very long to go through the clothes that you have in your carry-on, does it? I mean, before too long, your, your clothes can stand up by themselves. And so, so it's kind of the same thing with them. They have a certain number of provisions they've brought for their trip to, to, to keep it, to tide them over while they're there and on their way back. They're there for an extended amount of time. Their provisions run out. So the people, the other Christians in the early church, look at that and they say, these people have need. We're going to help them. See, they didn't all contribute to a common pot Then everybody was on an equal playing field. Instead, if you'll notice, the, the, these people that had means were selling property. They were selling fields and vineyards and things like that. And they were helping out those who had what? Need. It wasn't that everybody was made equal. It wasn't communism. It wasn't socialism. It was, it was radical generosity. It's radical generosity. I mean, we as... Can, can you imagine having a field... And seeing somebody in need, and you care so much about them, you sell that field. 
That is radical generosity, and that's what this early church was doing. Why? Because they recognized that God not only owned their, their property, He owned them as well. See, we as, as Christians are part of the family of God. And when, when we see a brother or sister in, in Christ, the Bible says later on in, in some of the other writings that if, if we look at a, at a fellow brother or sister in Christ and we see that they have need, they don't have clothes for their body, they don't have food for their stomach, and we say, oh, go and be, go and be fed, go and be warm, pray for your brother. If we say something like that, we don't help them out. How can we say that we have the love of God within our hearts? And so these people recognized that, that God owned them and he owned the stuff that had been entrusted to them. Now, I'm not trying to be depressive in what I'm getting ready to tell you. But I, I just want you to listen to some numbers. that I, didn't, I, I found them out this, this actually yesterday. According to an April jobs report that was published May 8th, so that was two days ago, Friday, on the CNN website, it reports that unemployment in America reached a staggering 14.7%. That is the greatest number the highest rate since the Great Depression. Now, according to, the, to, to that report, if you included those people, plus you included people who had looked for a job in the last 12 months, but not the last four weeks as well, as well as the nearly 11 million who had their hours cut or their wages cut, they were considered underemployed because business slowed down, so they had their hours cut, when you, when you combine all those numbers, that rate comes to 22.8%. But wait, there's more. I'm, I feel like a, a, an infomercial. But wait, there's more. If you put those numbers and you include those who are classified as, quote, want a job now, but do not search for one in the previous year, the number of workers who are unemployed or underemployed in April, comes to 43.2 million people in this country alone. To put that into another context, the New York Times, again, bastions of, of truth, they, they, they put out a report the same day, and according to that article, the, the job losses in April alone surpass all those that happened in the recession in 2008. Unemployment went from a 50-year low 3.5% to nearly 15% in two months. 3.5% in February, 14.7% in April. Now, I'm not telling you all that to depress you. I'm telling you that because with those numbers, we have people all around us that are affected by this. We have people that are losing jobs. We have people that are having their hours cut. I work with somebody who is saying, uh, let me know that, um, that our son works in a job where right now he's drawing unemployment. They're planning on going back, but they're only going to be working three days a week. So he loses unemployment, but not making enough to, to live. That's a difficult situation, no matter how you cut it. And so we have all these people around us, the, the community around us, and, and, and there may even be people in our church who, who are going to be directly affected by this. We need to be a generous people. We need to care for those around us. We need to care not only for our own people, and by our own people I mean New Hope, but also the community as a whole. 
So the first thing that we need to do is, the first thing that we see is, uh, we see that it is a generous church. A healthy church is a generous church. The second thing that we see, a little bit later on, if you look at, uh, at, at verse 46, the second mark of a healthy church is unity. A healthy church is a united church. It says, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. One mind. Your Bible may say that they were in a Honda. They were of one accord. I mean, they were, they were unified in spirit. They were unified in mind. Now, they're, they're, that does not mean that everybody in a healthy church is going to be exactly the same. Unity is not uniformity. There can be differences when it comes to things like uh, the, the non-essential things of the faith. There can be differences when it comes to, to political viewpoints. There can be differences when it comes to preferred Bible translations. There can be differences when it comes to preferred music styles. And, and all, those things can, can be the, all those things can be different, but Paul says we need to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, what does that look like? Colossians 3.14 says, Beyond all these things, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. Again, unity is not uniformity. Unity is when we look at things and say, okay, those are different, but that's not the most important thing. The, the person that you vote for in the election is not the most important thing between you and me. The, 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 the Bible translation that you use is not the most important thing between you and me. And the most important thing between you and me is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our most important thing are those things that we can unite around. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6 say, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. In other words, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. You don't get to God a different way than I do. I don't get to, to, to God a different way than you do. We can't have it an us versus them mentality when it comes to the church. And I'm not talking about just New Hope. I'm talking about Christians as a whole. We are part of the body of Christ, one body. We all should work together because if we don't pull together, we're going to pull apart. And that's true anytime, but it's especially true now. Because listen, this is not news to you. The world's not the same today as it was in March. The world, can, can you imagine... I know that I didn't envision it. New Year's Eve, we had a party back here. We were playing games. We were smiling. We were laughing. We were eating food. We were clinking our glasses together saying, Happy New Year. None of us had any idea that things were going to turn out the way that they have. And listen, we're not even halfway through the year yet. Things are different socially, politically, economically. But one thing that remains the same is Jesus. He's the one that we can unite around. He's the one that we circle around and say, all these things are changing, but here's one thing that doesn't change. Jesus. And we can have love and humility for one another, and that's what we should do. A healthy church is a united church. If you see a church that's that's characterized by discord and disunity, you found an unhealthy church. Guarantee you. So the first mark of a healthy church, generosity. second one is unity. The last one that I want you to see is fellowship. Fellowship. Now, uh, when we talk about a fellowship, we talk about potlucks as Baptists, right? But notice again what verse 42 says. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, that word fellowship is kind of spelled out what it looks like a little bit more in some of these other verses. So what does it mean 
to have fellowship. Well, the word fellowship means sharing something. So first, in fellowship, there was a sharing of worship. A sharing of worship. Look at verse 42 again. It says that, the apostle, that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we don't have apostles today. So where do we look? We look to the scriptures. The scriptures record the teaching of the apostles. We, as, as followers of Christ, need to be devoted to the word of God. We need to come together and worship, read, and study the scriptures. That's part of worship. Verse 46 says that they were continuing in the temple. That's the natural place for them to go. That's the place they've gone to for their whole lives. That's the place all their, all their uh, relatives have gone to worship God. That's where they went to prayer and, and, and uh, went, went to pray and, and to, to worship the Lord. They were regular. They did it often. They were unified in doing these things. Verse 47 says that they praised God together. They joined together to worship the Lord. Now, if you saw any of the videos that I posted the last few weeks, what that was was not church. You may have even looked at it and said that wasn't even preaching. And that may be true. But listen, what we did was not church online. Because a church online is, is, is really an oxymoron. Because a church is the assembled body of believers, corporately worshiping God, studying the scriptures together. Now, I'm glad that we could do what we did. I'm thankful that we can get the word out further when, when we have those opportunities than we do just meeting together in person. But listen, that's not church. Church is when we come together, we're devoted to the Word of God, to the apostles' teaching, when we corporately meet to worship together. There's fellowship there. Second, you see, they, they ate together. And all God's Baptists said, Amen, right? I mean, we, we look at that and we say, Brother, I can get behind that. Because I love me a potluck. And I love potluck too. But it's bigger than just a potluck. Now, you'll notice that the, the wording that's used here says that they broke bread together. That's not just a, a, a figure of speech. Their bread was, was thin and brittle, and they didn't use a knife. They would literally break it. And that's why whenever Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples, and he said, take, this is my body, he broke it. That was a picture of his body being broken. It was tactile. They, they, they understood that, that picture. And so they broke bread together. That was something that the, the head of the house would do uh, before they ate. He'd offer up a, a word of thanks, and he would break bread. Now, some believe this refers to the taking of communion or to the Lord's Supper. It's not real clear if that's what's being talked about. I think that in, in this place, in, uh, in verse 46, I think that that modifies them taking their meals together. But if you look up at verse 42, it definitely is talking about the Lord's Supper. It talks there about breaking the loaf. And there's different wording that's, that's used in those passages. So the Lord's Supper is an act of fellowship, not only with God, but also with one another. Because the Bible says they observe it when they came together. And so, so a mark of a healthy church is fellowship. We worship together. We, we take meals together. We take the Lord's Supper together. It was, it was a joyous fellowship. Look at, uh, look at verse uh, 46 at the end. They were taking their meals together, how? With mopiness and grumpiness. <laughs> nope, what does it say? With gladness, sincerity, single-mindedness. And hasn't it been good? Haven't you been glad 
to come together today? I know I have been. I, it, it's, it's been uplifting for my soul just to be around you all. Because even though I'm a, a crotchety old grump, I'm kind of fond of you. I mean, it's been good to see one another. And, and the Bible says that they took it with gladness of heart. And we, we experience that as we're glad to see one another. And folks, we need each other. We need fellowship with one another. It's vital to our spiritual health. And I think if anything has come out of this virus that's good, one of the things that this caused me to recognize, and, and many of you and, and other people as well, is how much, how important our church family is. The great hazard is that we'll let what's happened the last six weeks become the new norm for us. And what I mean by that is it's real tempting on Sunday morning to stay in bed anyway, isn't it? And it's real tempting whenever for the last six or seven weeks you've been able to roll out of bed, you know, not even have to take a shower, shave, get out of your pajamas, and you'd see the, the sermon, you can, you know, you can get on on your computer, you can get on your phone, and you can send the messages, and so on and so forth. And that's tempting because it's easy. We can't let that become the new norm. We can't let us, you know, Sunday rolls around, the alarm clock goes off, we put the covers over our head and say, social distancing, and that's it. We can't do that. We can't let that become the new norm for us. We need one another. And the church that has true fellowship with one another, they're generous, and, and they, they, they enjoy spending time with one another. There's unity. If you find a church like that, you found a healthy church, one that has a vibrant life about it. And I believe that, I believe this church is a healthy church. I look at those things and I say, this describes us pretty well. Not perfectly, but pretty well. But listen, just because that, that describes us now, we can't let our guard down. Because the devil would like nothing better than to tear us apart. He would like nothing better than to sow discord amongst us so that the, the church would not become a, a thing that would help us out, that would be an encouragement, but would hurt us. And the devil will do that any chance that he gets. He would love to get us sidelined on, on focusing on things that are inconsequential instead of focusing on Christ's mission for us. So let's look for ways to be generous with one another. Let's look for ways to be generous towards the community. Now this, this past February, as you know, we collected non-perishable items for the local food pantry. I look back again because I couldn't remember the number, over 2,800 items. And I still can't believe that, even though I saw it, even though I, I, I helped load it up and I helped take it out. Over 2,800 items in a church this size. If I'm not mistaken, they said that was the biggest load that anybody had brought in, especially from a church. And I look at that, and I'm awestruck by it, but I also say there's providence there. That's God's sovereignty meeting with time. I look at that, and I realize that we're not the only people that support that food pantry. But 2,800 plus items is going to feed a lot of mouths. That happened in February, in March the coronavirus shut everything down. There are going to be lots of people in this area who are unemployed, who are underemployed. And the stuff that we did as a, as a church body are helping to feed people in the community. That's a real difference. We need to be on the lookout 
for ways to be generous. We need to be on the lookout and, and be diligent to strive to preserve the unity of the Spirit. We do that through love and through humility. And of course, we can't forget fellowship, worshiping together, celebrating the Lord's table together. We were going to do that, then all of this stuff shut down. Soon, I'm ready to take the Lord's Supper again. We need to focus on those things. And of course, sharing meals together. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just in the quiet of this time, with nobody looking around, I just want you to know we are fortunate in this church. We are fortunate that we love one another as much as we do. There's unity, there's fellowship. That's not based on everybody being the same, it's based on our love for Christ. That's something to be thankful for. But again, we can't let that, we can't just coast. We have to focus on preserving those things and to build on those things. To be generous with one another. One of the reasons the early church was selling what they, selling what they did and helping those around them because they recognized that what they had wasn't theirs. It was entrusted to them. They were stewards. And as it was God's, they put it to God's, into God's service. So maybe in, in the midst of all this, you look at your own life and you say, you know, I've been holding on to things real tightly. I've forgotten that what I have is not my own. Now, I've been talking about a lot of stuff. It's geared specifically to Christians. But I recognize there may be somebody here who's never accepted Christ. They never turn from their sins. Listen, all this stuff we're talking about, you're not going to experience it apart from Christ. You'll not have peace apart from Jesus. You won't know peace until you know the Prince of Peace. The Bible says, just like those people that heard Peter on at Pentecost, that if you'll repent of your sin, if you'll turn from that and trust in Christ alone for salvation, you will be saved. If you've never done that, do that today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful that you brought us all together. We're thankful that you put us here, uh, to use biblical terminology, for such a time as this. We don't know why we're here at this particular time, in this particular church, with these particular people, except that you have a plan for us to reach out to the people around us, to reach out to the people within this church, to minister to them, to glorify you, and to tell others about Christ. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful to do that, that you would help us to uh, keep our eye on the ball, so to speak, and they would have a right focus in all that we do. And God, if there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. And God, if, if there's any of those areas that we're lacking in as a church, as individuals with the generosity and the unity and the fellowship, 
help us to shore up those areas and, and, and do better in those things. God, we just thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen.